All right, we want to welcome everyone here to the services of Grace Church at Franklin, here in Franklin, Tennessee, located at 4052 Arno Road. Would you take your hymnals and turn to page 141, 141, stand together with me. You'll recognize the melody, you may not recognize the title, Look Ye Saints, the Sight is Glorious, 141. Look ye saints, the sight is glorious See the man of sorrows now From the fight return victorious Every this morning in the reading of scripture and in prayer. Good morning. I'd like to read Psalm 121. I will lift up mine eyes unto the hills from whence cometh my help. My help cometh from the Lord who made the heaven and earth. He will not suffer thy foot to be moved. He will, not, he will keepeth those who will not stumble. 
Behold, he who keepeth Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is thy keeper. The Lord is thy shade upon the right hand. The sun will not smite thee by day nor the moon by night. The Lord shall preserve thy birth shall preserve thee from all evil. He shall preserve thy soul. The Lord shall preserve thy going out and thy coming in from this time forth and even forevermore. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for this blessed day and we thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ who is the answer to all things. And we know that there's a lot of strife, a lot of sickness, a lot going on, but you are the answer. As a woman, an older woman told me one time when I was first a Christian, she said, hang on to Jesus. And Lord, what we need to do is to hang on to him and go to him for every need we have. I pray that you would bless Bill as he preaches this morning to talk about this Jesus that we need to hang on to and be with the music, everything that goes on here today because we do it in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. We're going to do one more hymnal, hymn, then we'll have some announcements. It's page 70 in your hymnal, Holy, Holy, Holy. And let me say this, our song leader, Joshua Walsh, is ill this morning, so I want you to pray for him, and this is why I am attempting to lead the scene this morning. Let's remember Joshua and his family. Number 70.
Good morning. I'd like to add my welcome to the pastors this morning and <clears throat> mention a few prayer requests before you that you might, as the Lord brings them to your mind this week, lift them up before him. As you may have received from the email, Nathan Smith is home. He's got pneumonia. He seems to be doing well, just suffering right now a cough, so we continue to pray that the Lord would lift him up. Also for Betty and Charlie Haynes, they've not been with us a couple of weeks now, and it turns out that they're really sick, and so is Betty's son, so let's remember them before the Lord. Becky's mom, Ruth, will have a lung scan tomorrow to see if they can clear her for upcoming colon cancer removal, so let's uh, be in prayer about that. Also, Becky's uncle, which is Ruth's brother, Bob, uh, he will have a stent placed tomorrow. And Larry's aunt, Nina, has not been doing well. She's recovering in a rehab, so let's remember them. Patricia Jacobs is having her lower extremity vascular surgery sometime in November. A date has not been set yet. We remember her. We praise the Lord. Shirley Murphy's here today with us. We certainly want to continue to remember Shirley. We also want to continue to remember uh, Judy LePetri and also for her husband Calvin and their two daughters as they minister to Julie's, uh, to Judy's needs. She's fallen quite a bit lately, so let's ask the Lord to intervene on her behalf. We also want to continue to remember Carolyn Batt. She is home now, but still very frail, so let's lift her up. Continue to remember our brother Wally Haddon. Also for Mary, Wally's been moved to a little bit more secure part of the facility because he tends to wander around a little bit more than they would like for him to, so let's remember him. We also remember Carol, uh, Cheryl Cothran's 10-year-old niece, Chris, Claire Edwards, who is undergoing chemotherapy treatment. Certainly want to remember Marie Dalton, who uh, Marie's here today. Good to see you, Marie. Also Gladys Alquist and her son, Paul Osborne, and his wife as he ministered to her. Her name is Diane and Howie Smith as he's serving in the military and also attending college. As a reminder, if you want to support the ministry of Grace Church, there's an offering box located in the foyer where you can place your tithe or offering there. And also, if you want a copy of any of the messages that are delivered here at Grace Church, you can order a CD or DVD free of charge by filling out a slip located on the round table in the foyer. Place it in the box. Lord willing, your CD or DVD will be ready next week. And also, you can watch it. Uh, a lot of the messages are stored on the Ustream, YouTube, or Sermon Audio sites. Uh, usually, they hold about a year's worth of messages or maybe a little bit more, so avail yourself to that as well. <clears throat> Is there any other announcements? All right, thank you. Okay, Lynn is going to come up and make an announcement. All right, I have the most important announcement of all. The chili cook-off. <laughs> Y'all thought I forgot about it, didn't you? After all these years, we've had COVID, we hadn't had the chili cook-off, right? Are y'all awake today? Hello? All right, say yes or no. Okay, that's just a question, yes or no. Okay, now, we've decided this. See what y'all think about it. Uh, November the 1st, which is the first Sunday of uh, November, and we usually have covered dish dinner over in the fellowship hall, but we decided to do the chili cook-off out at our house on the river and uh, do it at 3 o'clock, started at 3 o'clock, Sunday afternoon. Does that bother anybody? Nobody? Okay, no legalists here. Okay, Sunday afternoon. Okay, so <clears throat> we, um, what we'll do is, John's not here today, but I nominated him as always, as he's always done. 
he does a hayride. So we'll have a hayride. He doesn't know it, but he's going to have a hayride. And, uh, and you bring your chili, and, and we supply the drinks and the chips and all that stuff, and bring a dessert. I'm trying to think of everything. Bring a dessert, okay? Whatever you like. And we have this chili cook-off. We used to have it every year, but then COVID messed us up, and we didn't do that. But uh, anyway, I'm the winner, usually. <laughs> I'm telling you the truth. I am. I was number one, except one time Billy Wall beat me. You won it one time? See, there you go. And then, then Billy Wall back there in the back, give him a, he beat me. He's the first one that beat me. And then last year, because they're from, I think they're from California up north or something, Carl and uh, Dolores Clark made a white bean chili. Now, y'all know that chili is not white bean chili. That is not southern. Don't you know it? So don't bring that this year. <laughs> you got <clears throat> to whip me first. And we give out little prizes that don't amount to anything. But anyway, you're the winner, okay? So that's November 1st, 3 o'clock, and I'll give you the address. We'll put it online and all that. Is there anything I'm missing, Sarah? Our whole family does that out there, too, Sarah. And all them help me. Leo parks the cars and Jet directs them and Ivy does. She cheerleads. Okay. Can be there. So you can be, be there, there as be early as, as four, four o'clock, because we never know in November it could be cool. We said three. Three? All right, three o'clock. Three o'clock, even earlier than I thought. So <laughs> it gets you, dark you, early. Yeah, you can go right out there after church and be there all afternoon oh. if you want to. Now. Uh -huh. Now, Lynn has told you about the chili, and she's told you about what to bring. Bring your chili and dessert. You're wondering, what, what about the drinks? Well, we all go down to the Duck River and get a cup. And No, we'll supply the drinks. Joe wants to say something. Right, what? The, the first Sunday is November 6th. Okay. Uh, it says the first Sunday. Okay. And I did say that. Okay. You're right. Thank you for the Christ. Stand corrected. So it's the 6th of November, the first Sunday of November, right? Okay, cool. Okay. Is that okay with y'all? Y'all got that? The first Sunday of November, come to church and then go and get your chili or whatever you're going to do. Todd said, they can't go that long without eating. I said, well, eat a big breakfast, okay? And then come out there and, uh, and uh, have some fellowship with us and enjoy the outdoors on the river, Okay. All right, now, in your hymnals, you have an old hymn called Redeemed. We're going to do that now. It's 475, 475. Uh, can this, uh, I know you can hear me, but I'm eating this mic. Can this be turned up just a little bit? This mic, just a, just a tad. Let's stand together. 475. Everybody got it? How I love to proclaim it Redeemed by the blood of the Lamb Redeemed through His infinite mercy His child and forever I am Redeemed, redeemed, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb Redeemed, redeemed, redeemed His child 
Genesis 40. Brother Dale, is this microphone on? It is. Okay, I can barely hear it, but it's on. We want to invite the Lord to bless us this morning as we open His Word. And so here, we always sing this little chorus. Father, I stretch my hands to Thee, no other help I If you have a Bible and you want to open it to the very first book in the Bible, the book of Genesis, so good to see all of you. I just want to say a couple of things before I open God's Word. The first is, do you know what it is to eat humble pie? Anybody know what that is? What does that mean? Well, it means you made a mistake and it means you have to apologize for it. And so I've got my fingers crossed back here, but... I'm going to apologize for something. A few weeks ago, Betty Hethcock was here, and we dedicated 
Kennedy to the Lord, and I think I made a comment about her last name. It turns out that's what I sent them. <laughs> so I'm to blame for that. I don't want you to blame the audio-video crew. I don't think anybody thought much about it. Nevertheless, let's put the, put the blame where the blame goes. So that was, that was my fault. That was not their fault. And I wanted to apologize about that. Secondly, we are glad that David and Rhonda are back from uh, Wisconsin, and we praise the Lord for that. And uh, they have gotten them a place here in Franklin, and we're thankful the Lord opened up a door for that. Uh, and also, we're glad to, to have the Perrys. Now, the Perrys, since I've known them, I think y'all have lived in three or four places, but they just moved to Fairview. So they're now no longer living in Spring Hill. Ruby said when she tried to go out the door to go to the grocery store, it took her 30 minutes across the street because of all the traffic and growth. She said, we got to get out of here. So they moved out to Fairview. So they're in Fairview. They have successfully moved this past week, and we're thankful uh, for the parish, too, that they're able to be here today. Now, today we're going to turn, take up the story once again of Joseph. For those of you who've been here, you know that we've had many studies over the last several months about the story of Joseph. And today we're going to look at a particular person in Genesis chapter 40. If you turn to Genesis chapter 40, that's going back a chapter. We're really in 41, but I can't get out of 40 yet. So chapter 40, verse 16. Verse 16. When the chief baker saw that the interpretation, the interpretation of a dream that Joseph had given was good. It was a good interpretation. That is, it was positive. It was a positive interpretation. He said to Joseph, well, I also was in my dream and I had three white baskets on my head. And the uppermost basket in that uppermost basket, there was all kinds of baked meats for Pharaoh, and the birds did eat them out of the basket, which was on my head. Now, what he says is, and I'm going to go over this with you in just a moment. He said, just like the chief butler, which we call the cupbearer, he saw himself in his dream, and he said, I saw myself in my dream. And this is what I saw. I, I saw that there was uh, three baskets on my head. And in the top basket, it was all kind of food. And then the birds came and ate out of that basket. Now Joseph said, this is the interpretation of it. The three baskets are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh is going to remove your head from your body. And then he's going to hang your body on a tree... And the birds are going to eat your flesh from off of you. May the Lord add his blessings to the reading of his word and let God's people say praise the Lord. You may be seated. Now strangely enough, and I'll try to explain this, I have titled this message, The Blessed Baker. The Blessed Baker. You know the story, but just in case there's some here who do not, 
This fellow Joseph is God's man, even though he's had time after time, trouble after trouble. Now he finds himself in prison on a false charge, cooked up by a lying person, a woman who was the wife of his boss, who tried to have an affair with him, and he wouldn't have anything to do with her. And she lied and said he tried to rape her, and for that he was put in prison. So while he was in prison, he found himself in charge of two men who were put in prison. One's called the chief baker. The other one's called, in the King James Version, the chief butler. The butler is the cupbearer, the one who brought Pharaoh the wine and who himself uh, took care of all of the, the grapes and everything that was made wine. He had to taste it, make sure there's no poison, nothing in it. And the other guy is the chief baker. He was in charge of all the food that Pharaoh ate. And so they had a dream. Now, just look in chapter 40. You can see in verse 1, it came to pass after these things, that is, after a while, after Joseph was put in prison, that the butler of the king of Egypt, that's the Pharaoh, and his baker had offended their lord, the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was angry against these two men, against the chief of butlers and against the chief of bakers, and he put them in prison. Verse 3. And he put them in prison in the house of the captain of the guard. That's Potiphar's section of the prison. Potiphar is the guy whose wife lied about Joseph. So they put in prison with Joseph into the prison, the place where Joseph was bound, verse 3. And the captain of the guard, verse 4, charged Joseph. Now, if you're not familiar with the Bible, this would be easy to follow. If you borrow a Bible from somebody and just turn to chapter 40, I'm going verse by verse. And the captain of the guard charged Joseph, the man that was in charge of that section of the prison, who is Potiphar, he gave Joseph the charge of these two prisoners. And then it says in verse 5, they dreamed a dream. It says that both of them dreamed a dream, and they both dreamed the dream on the very same night. And it says that both of them were particularly troubled by their respective dreams. That's verses 5 and 6. Each man dreamed a dream. And each man, according to the interpretation of his dream, the butler, the baker that the king of Egypt had put in prison, and Joseph came in, verse 6, one morning, and he looked upon them, and they were sad. He could look at their faces and tell that they were troubled about something. And when they told him, well, we had both had dreams, and both of these dreams have troubled us, we don't know what they mean, when he learned about that, then he implored them to tell him their dreams, reminding them that the significance and the meaning and the interpretation of all things, including dreams, belong to God. If you want to know what your life means, if you want to know why you're here, you need to seek the God of the Bible to find out. Because you're here by His permission. You're here in His world by His permission and His decree 
if you'll pardon my English, there ain't no accidents with God. So the chief butler, verses 9 through 13, he tells his dream, and his dream turns out very favorable. Joseph says, well, in three days, this is verses 9 through 13, in three days, Pharaoh is going to send for you. He may give you a little examination. He may ask you some questions, but you're going to be restored to your former position. Wonderful. So the other guy, the baker, he hears that good and favorable interpretation. And so he's encouraged by the positive interpretation and the favorable predicted outcome of his fellow prisoner's dream. And so he said, oh, well, look, uh, I want you to tell me what my dream means then. This is verses 16 and 17, which we just read. And in spite of how he must have personally felt, Joseph told the chief baker the truth. He said, in three days you're going to die. You've got three days to live. And in three days the Pharaoh is going to send you, send for you. He's going to behead you. He's going to remove your head. And they're going to hang your body. And the birds are going to come and eat off of your body. Now, in old days, when a, when a person was sentenced to capital punishment, it was often done publicly. And it was done publicly as a warning to everybody else. Now, I've heard all the talk here in the United States about Capital punishment is not a deterrent for crime. You put it on television, it'll be a deterrent for crime. You put it on television when somebody's hung or when somebody's shot at a firing squad or when somebody dies in a gas chamber or when somebody is in the electric chair, I guarantee you it'll deter crime. I guarantee you. People do what they want to do today because they know that there's no suffering for the consequence. There's no consequences. You can do what you want to, and there's nothing. You don't have to pay for it. Now, I don't want to see anybody die, and I can't take our time this morning to explain the whole background here of capital punishment, but I've told you before that capital punishment is something that God ordained, and when men commit crimes worthy of death, it is God who executes them. It is not the man who pulls the switch or the man who shoots the gun, or the man who pulls the knob for them to be hung. It is God who executes them, and they're doing that in obedience to him. And the Lord says, if you don't carry out my will with regard to this, I'm going to be judging you for it. That's one of the reasons we're experiencing the kind of judgment in this nation now that we're having. Because as I have said repeatedly in the last several months, we get out and parade for the right to murder babies in the womb, abort babies, and then we get out and we hold signs up and say, don't execute the criminals. We're all confused. We've made that which is sweet bitter, that which is bittersweet. We've turned things upside down and God warns us and we're doing it anyway. 
So regardless of how Joseph felt, his heart may have sank when God showed him the meaning of that man's dream. But he told him the truth. Now before we get a little further in this study this morning, let me make two observations. Number one, Joseph is only an interpreter of the dream. Joseph has nothing whatsoever to do with the destiny of the chief baker. The destiny of the chief baker is in the hands of God. Joseph is only God's messenger to the chief baker. In the same way, that's what I am. I'm just a messenger boy. And over the years, I've had people get upset with me because I tell them certain things from the Scripture. But I'm just a messenger boy. Don't get mad with me. I don't know if the baker got upset with Joseph. He said, well, you told him it's going to come out good. You told me mine's going to come out bad. But Joseph doesn't have anything to do with the outcome. He's just telling them what God said. You understand me? So why be mad with the messenger boy? I think of King Ahab in the Old Testament. King Ahab was a bad king. But he was going to go to war. You can read about this in 2 Kings 22 and 2 Chronicles 18. He was going to war, but he didn't want to go to war by himself. And so he called King Jehoshaphat, who was the king of Judah. King Ahab was the king of Israel. And King Jehoshaphat was the king of Judah. And he called King Jehoshaphat and he said, will you go to war with me? And Jehoshaphat said, I will. But he said, let's call some prophets and see if they can tell us what God's will might be here. So Ahab calls in all of these prophets, big, huge crowd of prophets. And every one of them, without fail, every one of them said, go to war and you'll prosper and the victory will be yours. And Jehoshaphat said, now look, these are all prophets of Baal. Is there not a prophet of the God of Israel around? You know what Ahab said? He said, oh yeah, there's, a, there's this prophet Micaiah. But he can't, I, can't, I can't stand him. He said, I can't stand him because he never tells me anything good. You know what that meant? He always told him the truth. He told him the truth. All these lying prophets told him, you go and you'll prosper. And he called Micaiah and Micaiah said, they told him before they brought him, they said, now all these other prophets here of Baal have said they predicted good. And so when they called Micaiah in, he said, what do you say, Micaiah? He said, go and thou shalt prosper. But he said it in a, you know, a way the king knew it wasn't right. And he said, now how many times have I told you just tell me the truth? So Micaiah said, the Lord has put a lying spirit in the mouth of these thy prophets. And they have lied to you and they've told you that you'll prosper. But I'm telling you that if you go to battle, you're going to be killed in battle. You're going to be killed. And Ahab said to his servants, you take Micaiah and put him in prison and you hold him till I return. And Micaiah said, if you return, the Lord has not spoken by me. That's what he said. And you know what happened when they went into battle? King Ahab told Jehoshaphat, 
He said, look, you go ahead and wear your kingly garments if you'll be identified quickly as a king. But he said, I'm going to disguise myself. I'm going to put on just the, 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 the uh, garb of a common soldier. They won't be able to find me. They went into battle, and the Lord says in his word that people were just shooting arrows, shooting arrows, and it said there was this one guy, and he just pulled back his arrow. He wasn't shooting at anything in particular. He just shot an arrow. And it came down and it hit King Ahab right in the chest. The only place he could hit him, he had armor everywhere on him. And he had a little division that hit him right in between there. And he cried out and he said, take me, take me out of the battle for I'm wounded. And he died just as God said he would. Now we have warnings in the scripture from the Lord about what the future holds beyond this life. And many people in this nation and this world don't want to pay any attention to it. And then when they find themselves caught up in the great judgment before the Lord and the great day of the Lord, then they're going to say, oh my God, I would have repented, I would have turned. But no, they wouldn't do it, they wouldn't listen. They wanted to listen to people who buttered them up and who itched their ears. Scripture says in the last days they'll call preachers and teachers and messengers that'll tickle their fancy and tell them what they want to hear. You just give your money, brother, and you just attend. You'll be all right with God. And right now, we're living in a very dangerous world. We've got Russia talking about nuclear warfare. We've got China. We've got all of these nations over here. We are very dangerous. You know, if anybody sent a nuclear weapon into this nation, your life, as you know it right now, is over. You don't have any money in the banks because the banks will be closed. The stock market, which is already down 6,000 points, will go down to zero. Nobody will have any food. You can't go to Kroger's or Publix to buy any food. You won't have any. People will be dying from radiation. We're in a very dangerous time. The people won't listen. The prophet said, all nations that forget God should be turned into hell. I'm reminded of Hugh Latimer. Hugh Latimer was a court preacher during the reign of Henry VIII. I know some of you have heard of Henry VIII. It was the custom of the court preacher to present to the king something on his birthday. And so Latimer presented King Henry VIII with a pocket handkerchief. A very nice pocket handkerchief. And in the corner of the, the handkerchief was a quote from Hebrews 13.4. This is what it said. It said, whoremongers and adulterers, God will judge. Then Latimer got up and he preached a message about whoremongering and adulterers. When service was over, Hugh got a little note from King Henry VIII. And the king said, the next time we hear from Mr. Latimer, he must apologize and he must mold his sermon so as to eat his own words. Now, if you go back and just read your history books about Henry VIII, he, he removed the head of several of his wives. He claimed he wanted a son, and his first wife could only give him a daughter. He didn't know, as we know today, that the sex of a child is determined by the male. <laughs> 
Wasn't her fault, but he's Henry VIII, man. All of you have heard Herman Hermit's song, haven't you? I'm Henry VIII, I am. In Henry VIII, I am, I am. I got married to the widow next door. She's been married seven times before, and everyone is an Henry. She wouldn't have a Willie or a Sam. You've all heard that, haven't you? Probably don't know there about Henry VIII, but you know about that song. <laughs> well, Henry VIII was a bad man. So here Latimer was to preach the next Sunday. And when he stood up to preach, he began this way. I've written this down. Here Latimer, thou art this day to preach before the high and mighty Prince Henry, King of Great Britain and France. If thou sayest one single word that displeases his majesty, he will take thy head off. Therefore, mind what thou art at. <laughs> that means you better, you better know before whom you stand, and you better be careful about what you say. He paused, and then he said this. Hugh Latimer, thou art this day to preach before the Lord God Almighty, who is able to cast both body and soul into hell, and so tell the king the truth outright. And as a result of that, Henry had a new respect for Hugh Latimer. A new respect for him. But you see, Latimer was God's messenger boy. Joseph is God's messenger boy. That's what I say I am. As John Riesinger used to say, time and the devil will tell whether I am or not. But Hugh Latimer was determined not to allow the king to deter him from delivering the truth. And when God showed Joseph what the baker's dream mean, his heart must have sunk. He might have said to himself, he might have said to the Lord, Lord, how can I say this? <clears throat> can I... Make this a little bit more tolerable. But he didn't do that. We are all standing here today before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And I cannot put you in heaven or hell. But I must not shun to declare unto you all the counsel of God as revealed in the Holy Scriptures. I must tell you the truth. I see nothing in here, in the Bible... I don't see anything in the Bible about the worship of Mary. I don't see anything in the Bible about limbo or purgatory or mass or absolution of sins by a man. I see nothing in the Bible about walking an aisle or joining a church to be saved. Hell is hot and heaven is sweet and Christ is the only way to the one and the only escape from the other. Paul asked the Galatians, you can read it. It's in the Bible, Galatians 4.16. He said to them, Have I become your enemy because I tell you the truth? Well, how can I be the friend of people, the friend of souls, and tell you a lie? How can I be the servant of God and tell men only what they want to hear? Jesus said, No man can serve two masters. He will hate the one and love the other 
or he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. Joseph had one master, and he delivered his master's message. And that's what I'm supposed to be doing. Number two, Joseph told the chief baker the truth, though he knew it was a negative and utterly shocking message. You see, it was not Joseph's job to put a positive spin on things, but simply to deliver the mind and the will of God. Joseph's feelings for the baker couldn't be allowed to sway him from the truth. The truth is, unless God intervenes, Mr. Baker, you're going to die shortly. Likewise, I cannot help but speak the things whence my Lord has revealed in his word, whether it is popular or whether it is not, whether it is received or whether it is not received. And let me tell you this, any man who will not deal with the issues of his time as they are dealt with in the word of God, however eloquent he may speak, however exciting he may be to listen to, however popular he may be with the people, if he doesn't deal with the issues of God's word, he is not sent of God. John the Baptist spoke against the adulterous marriage of Herod, who had married his brother's wife, and you know what he got for it? He was beheaded. But you know what Jesus said? Matthew 11, Jesus said, Among those that are born of women, there hath not arisen a greater than John the Baptist. So the question is, would I rather be thought well of by men or commended by the Lord? Jesus said, Luke chapter 6, verse 26, Woe unto you when all men shall speak well of you, for so did their fathers to the false prophets. Paul said to the elders of the church of Ephesus, Acts chapter 20, verses 26 and 27, I want you to go on record this day. I want to go on record this day to you that I'm pure from the blood of all men. In what way did he mean that? Well, is the next phrase. For I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. I didn't just pick popular subjects. I didn't just pick things that I wanted to do or things that... You wanted to hear. So Joseph did not try to tone down the interpretation of the chief baker's dream. He knew it would be a shock to him. He knew it was a message predicting that the baker would die in three days, but he delivered the message of God faithfully because he was God's messenger boy. Now, how in the world could I title this message, The Blessed Baker? In light of that, who blessed him? Certainly wasn't Pharaoh. He put him in jail and he's going to execute him. How is he blessed? All right, think with me. Number one, he was put in prison with one of God's choice servants, Joseph. He could have been put in another part of the prison. He could have been imprisoned at a, another time. Do you know how Onesimus became a Christian? You may be saying, well, I don't even know who Onesimus is. <laughs> well, in the New Testament, you have a little short book of only two or three chapters called Philemon. And you, you find there that Onesimus was a runaway slave, and his master was named Philemon. 
And when he got an opportunity, he ran. But guess what? God had his hand on Onesimus, and he steered him here, and he steered him there, and he was arrested. And out of all the hundreds of thousands of people in the prisons of Rome, he finds himself in the same jail cell with the Apostle Paul. Good grief. Was he a lucky guy? Well, you know, I don't believe in luck. God steered him because the Lord said, I'm going to save that fellow. I'm going to save that runaway slave. And that book of Philemon is written by Paul to Philemon to say, look, your runaway slave has been saved. He's been converted. And when he comes back, you might be his master, but he's your brother now. So you treat him like a brother in Christ. And he said, I want to remind you, you're in debt to me, Paul says. You read that little book. So Onesimus was converted of all the places and all the prisons and all the people he could have been in prison with, he found himself in jail with the Apostle Paul, the man that wrote 14 books in the New Testament. And Paul preached the gospel to him, and the Lord blessed it, and he was saved. You got your seat belts on this morning? No one is saved by accident. No one is saved by accident. If God saves you, he saves you on purpose. And if he saved you on purpose, he saved you for a purpose. He crosses the path of every person he's going to save. He crosses their path one way or another in providence. And finally, he'll send them to his word or he'll send a messenger with his word. He will bring you into submission to his truth as revealed in the word of God. So I think he's blessed, first of all, because he could have been put in prison. A lot of places he's put, he put in jail with one of God's choice servants, Joseph. Number two, he's blessed in a second way. He was given a dream by the God of heaven. A dream which foretold his own death. But he didn't know that when he had the dream. He didn't know the purpose of the dream. He didn't know the meaning of the dream. How in the world is he going to find out what his dream means? Well, the Lord took care of that with a third blessing. <clears throat> he blessed the baker by giving Joseph an understanding of his dreams in all of its particulars. Joseph was able to tell the baker the exact time and the exact means and method of his death. Wow. Now, get a hold of this now, what I'm going to tell you now. There's always a secondary purpose behind every obvious and discovered purpose. In other words, when you find something that's true, that you, find, you discover something about God's Word and God's will, there's always a secondary purpose behind that obvious and discovered purpose. All phenomena is divided into two categories, secret things and revealed things. Deuteronomy 29, 29, the secret things belong unto the Lord our God, the things that are revealed belong to us. Now, I'm not responsible for what I don't know. But I am responsible for what has been revealed to me. 
And too often, dear friends, we want to know what about we want to know about what God has purposely hidden. But we utterly fail to seek out to learn what He has revealed. The increase of fortune tellers and uh, demonic activity and all this stuff is it is increasing exponentially. It's doubling every day. And yet, people are totally ignorant of what's been revealed in the Word of God. Why do people want to have a sorcerer to interpret? They want to know what the future is. But see, the God, God has hidden the future. God knows exactly how I'm going to die. He knows when I'm going to die. He knows why I'm going to die. And he knows the same thing about you. But he hadn't revealed that to me. We aren't any better than the apostles. You remember Peter, the apostle? In John's Gospel, chapter 21, Jesus told Peter something about when he was going to die and what was going to happen to him. And what was Peter's response? Well, Peter pointed over to John and said, what's going to happen to him? Let me read to you a quote. This is what Jesus said to Peter. He said, if it is my will for him to live until I come, what is that to you? Follow me. I've revealed some things to you, Peter. You get busy doing what I've revealed to you, and I'll take care of John. All the time, we're trying to straighten out somebody else. I am not in the straighten out business. The Bible clearly teaches us that in the local churches, local assemblies, there are two types of people. Some are sheep, some are goats. Some are wise, some are foolish. Some are wheat, and some are tares. A tear is a Donnell weed. Looks just like a stalk of wheat, except it has no fruit. Jesus told a parable in the New Testament. He said there was a man that had a large amount of property, and he planted wheat. And one day his servants came in and said, Sir, didn't we plant good wheat in the field? He said, Yes. He said, Where did all these weeds, all these Donnell, all these tares, where did they come from? And Jesus said, An enemy has done this. And so they said, do you want us to go out and try to pull up the weeds? He said, no. Jesus said, no, don't try to go out and pull up the weeds. It's not my job to be pulling up the weeds. It's not my job to try to determine who's a sheep and who's a goat. Who's wise and who's foolish. Who's a a stack of wheat and who's a, a, a tear. It's not my job. Jesus said, listen, let both of them grow until the harvest. And then I will send my angels, and they'll divide them. And the tares will be thrown into the fire, and the wheat will be gathered into my barn. In churches, we don't have any business trying to straighten people out. I can't even keep myself straight. What am I doing trying to straighten you out? When people say to me, how's the world treating you? I say, terrible. (laughs) But the Lord's blessing me. Well, take care of yourself. Well, I've tried that. I can't take care of myself. I have to have the Lord take care of me. (laughs) Too big of a job for me to take care of myself. My friends, there's a secondary purpose 
behind every obvious and discovered purpose. So, what could be a secondary purpose behind God giving this man this dream and giving Joseph the interpretation of it? Here's some things for you to think about. First, when he did that, it made a strong impression upon the other prisoner's mind, the cupbearer. It made a strong impression on his mind, so strong that it would be impossible for the guy, the cupbearer, the one that's going to be restored to his service, not going to be executed, it would be impossible for that man to forget Joseph. He made a strong impression on his mind. Now, when he got back, I mean, we're reading right here, in verse 23 of Genesis chapter 40, yet did the chief butler not remember Joseph, but forgot him. What that means, that's, the, that's a tongue-in-cheek expression. What it means is he really didn't forget him, but he didn't bring it up because he didn't think it was to his advantage. But when it comes to time when it's going to be at his advantage, he's going to say to the Pharaoh, oh yeah, I remember a guy that was in, I was in jail with, and he... He interpreted dreams. I tell you, when that baker was restored, or when that butler, the chief butler or the cup barrel, when he was restored to his position, and then about two or three days later, somebody comes to him and said, hey, did you hear what happened to John, the chief butler? What happened to him? The Pharaoh hung him today and cut his head off. Don't you think that he couldn't forget it? Second, the second secondary purpose behind telling the baker that he's going to die in three days is this. It moved the secret purposes of heaven along, the purposes according to the promises made to Abraham. Listen to me, friends. The whole purpose of getting Joseph into Egypt. How did the Lord get Joseph into Egypt? He used his brothers who were jealous of him and envious of him to sell him. <clears throat> Then the people they sold him to sold him again. Then the man he worked for had a wife that lied on him, and here he is in prison. And when we get to chapter 41, we're going to see he's going to be out of prison, and he's going to go from prison to the palace. He's going to be going from a nobody to the governor of Egypt. You see, the whole point of getting Joseph down into Egypt was to get Joseph's father Jacob, whom we call Israel, and his father down there, that they might grow into a great and mighty nation over a period of 400 years and be delivered by the almighty hand of God in the Exodus. That's the whole point of getting Joseph into Egypt. Both Joseph, the cupbearer, and the baker were little wheels in the great wheel of divine providence. And through them, the wagon of providence moves right along and on schedule according to God's will. My friends, it's the same thing with you and me. We're little wheels in the providence of God to move the purpose of God for the glory of God right along on schedule. None of this is about us. It's about Him. It's about His purpose. It's about His glory. Thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. 
What, good, what, what difference does it make if anyone knows me or knows when I was born or what I did while I was here or when I died? What difference does that make? Not any difference at all. But if anyone passes through this world and they don't know him, it would be better for them if they had never been born. I say it was a great blessing for the baker to have been put in the prison at the time he was, where he was, in the prison with Joseph. It was a great blessing to have been given a dream. It was a great blessing to have been given the interpretation of the dream. And it was a great blessing to have received information regarding the exact time and the means of his death. You know, very few people have received advanced information regarding their death. King Hezekiah in the Bible was told that he had 15 years to live. 2 Kings chapter 20. Abraham was only told he would live to a good old age. David was only told, when thy days are fulfilled. In Luke chapter 12, Jesus spoke about a certain rich man who promised himself that he had many years remaining. Everything he did prospered. And he said, I'm going to be a greater barns. I'm going to big build storehouses. I'm going to take my ease and enjoy myself. For I have many years. And the Lord Jesus said up in heaven, God said, thy fool, this very night shall thy soul be required of thee. Then who shall be these things that you've laid up for yourself? And Jesus said, so it is with everyone who is not rich toward God. All we're thinking about is what we're going to get along here. And that may be ending soon. And that rich man died without warning as millions and millions have. Most human beings don't know the day of their death. Have you ever thought about why the Lord doesn't tell more people about the day of their death? First of all, if you knew the day of your death, you'd probably be preoccupied with it. You'd be no good for anything else. Secondly, if you knew the day of your death, you might try to live as you pleased until just before your death date. Try to take advantage of other people. I ain't dying till 2035, brother. I can cheat you. I'll, I'll give you false measurements and everything else. But I know I'm not going to wear 2035. And 2034, that's when I'm going to start seeking the Lord and repenting then. I read about a woman. This is funny. This is comical. But I read about a woman who because of her strong views on what's called the rapture, she was charging everything on credit because she thought the law was coming soon. <laughs> wow. There may be other reasons why we aren't told when we die, but the chief baker was told. Now listen, here's the good thing about this. First of all, he was given time to seek the Lord. You give them three days. That's a blessing. He was given time to inquire about the Lord. He's in the cell with a man who knows God, Joseph. Brother, there aren't many people today who know God. If you've got a friend that knows God, I'd tell you what I'd do. I'd stick around him or her. Thirdly, he was given time to prepare for his death. Fourthly, he couldn't have any excuse at his death. 
I mean, he was put in jail with Joseph. He was given a dream. He was given the interpretation of the dream. He was told the exact time and place of his death. And here's a lesson for us. We may not know the day of our, de- the day of our death, but we do know that we will surely die. We know that. And the question is, what have we done with this wonderful mercy from God, the information that we will surely die. And whenever we die, we can be certain of this, if we have not a Savior, if we have not the Lord Jesus Christ, we will be without excuse. Oh God, I didn't have enough time. Yeah, I gave you 75 years. I gave you 30 years. Some people die young. 15, you had 15 years. That 15 years. Well, I didn't know the way. Yes, you do. Jesus is the way. I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. Now, this was troubling news to this baker to hear that he's going to die in three days, but it was a great mercy to him, a great blessing, which he should have taken advantage of. And maybe he did. I don't know. Maybe he did. Maybe he sat down with Joseph and said, listen, the God you worship that knows what men think and what they're dreaming, I need to know him. I got three days. What can you tell me about it? And maybe he died... Trusting in the God of Joseph. Wouldn't that be wonderful? You see that old baker in heaven? You know, Christ died. Joseph is a wonderful picture of Christ. You know that. So he's in prison, and he's got two two guys with him, right? When Jesus died, what did he die? He died with two fellows with him. One on either hand. And one of them called out to him and said, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus said, well, you didn't work enough. You didn't give enough. You didn't walk the church aisle. You didn't pray. No, you know what Jesus said to him? He said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus said, I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. You're talking about mercy. You're talking about grace. He couldn't pass out any tracts. He couldn't attend any Wednesday night prayer meetings. He couldn't witness to anybody. He couldn't work. And he couldn't wait. Because he's going to be gone in just an hour or two. That guy that was on that cross crucified with Jesus, he didn't have three days. He just had a few hours. The Lord Jesus was crucified at 9 o'clock in the morning. And he died at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Six hours. And from 12 to 3, said the sun went dark and the whole world was in darkness. There's no indication that the baker sought the Lord, at least not in the scripture, but maybe he did. I've got some news for you, and I'm going to close. All in the world the Lord has to do for us to perish is leave us alone. That's all he has to do. That's all he has to do, just leave us alone. I'm glad he didn't leave me alone. 
it wasn't pleasant when I went through all the conviction and all the problems that I went through and going back and saying, Lord, I'm a sinner. And, you know, it is a very difficult thing. In fact, I think it's an impossible thing, except for the sovereign grace of God, to take sides with God against yourself. 1 John 3, 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What you're doing there when you confess, it is a word that belongs in a courtroom. It means like a lawyer cites the law and he cites exactly what that person did to break that law. So you go before the Lord and you say, I have lied, I have cheated. I have been an adulterer. I have done this. I have done that. And it says that when you confess your sins, believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, it says he's faithful and he's just to forgive you of your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. That means all of the things that you can't remember. You say, how am I going to confess all my sins? I don't even remember all of them. Well, he's faithful and just to forgive you of all of the unrighteousness that you've committed. And listen, we know this now. So what? Are we seeking the Lord while he may be found? Are we calling upon him while he's near? I think the scripture seems to indicate that the butler, if you, if you still have your Bible open, the baker, rather, not the butler, but the baker, in chapter 40. I tried to emphasize this when I read it. That after Joseph gave the positive interpretation to the chief butler, saying he's going to come get you in three days, and you're going to be restored. It says, the chief butler told his dream, verse 9, Genesis chapter 40, verse 9. And uh, he told, uh, Joseph gave the interpretation in verse 12. This is the interpretation of it. The three branches of three days. In three days, Pharaoh's going to lift up your head and restore you unto your place, and you're going to deliver Pharaoh's cup into his hand just like he did before when you were his butler. And then Joseph said, Now remember me, verse 14 and following. Remember me. Tell Pharaoh about me and that I'm in here unjustly. Now notice verse 16. This is the guy that's going to die in three days. Verse 16. When the chief baker saw that the interpretation was good. See, he heard that interpretation for the butler. Oh, man, that's good and positive. So he's probably got a good and positive word for me. So I had a dream, too. Would you tell me what mine means? Joseph said, <clears throat> they're going to come get you in three days and execute you. You know what that tells me? That tells me that that baker was under the delusion that because the butler received the mercy, he would too. But he didn't. He didn't. Maybe he did, because he had three days. Maybe he did. I'd like to hope <laughs> that, he, that he did. But if he didn't, he died without mercy, even though he was told he was going to die in three days. 
You know what a blessing it is for us to know that the way out of this mire is through the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you know that there are many, many people on planet Earth that have never heard the gospel? (laughs) They've never heard about the true God. They're in heathen blindness and heathen darkness. And so they do not prepare, and yet they are without excuse. As the prophet Amos told his generation, I think the word for America and the world at this particular time in history is Amos 4, verse 12. Prepare to meet thy God. Hank Williams knew better than most of us. He wrote a country song says, he said, we're never going to get out of this world alive. It makes sense to me. You're, never, you're, going to, you're going to see the Lord, my friend, all of us. I'm going to see him, you're going to see him. And what I want for you, I don't want you to be like somebody that's ignorant. I want you to call on the Lord. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Because all of us here, even the youngest of us, have been given however many years we are old to seek the Lord and to prepare. May the Lord add his blessings on his word. Let's stand together. Now we're not going to try to get anybody to come down an aisle or give the preacher your hand. I can't do a thing for you. I can shake your hand. That's all I can do. But what I am going to tell you is in your heart, in your heart right now, you can do it with your eyes open, your eyes closed. You call on the Lord. You say, Lord, I'm a sinner and I... I need you. You know, I, 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 there was a man that said in a book, Dr. Foster told me about it. He said in the book that unless you believe certain things, you can't say to anybody that Jesus died for you. Now, you listen carefully to me. You may have to come back to hear the rest of this story. Nowhere in the Bible does any apostle or any prophet say Jesus died for you. What the Bible says is Jesus died for sinners. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. And then Paul added, of whom I am chief. He died for sinners. He died for those who need a savior. You need a savior? That's the message of the gospel. And if you are a sinner, and I know you are, but maybe you don't know you are. I tell you one proof that you're a sinner. One proof is you're going to die. <laughs> What's the cause of death? Why do we get old and die? But the Bible says in Romans chapter 5, through the first man, Adam, sin entered into the world and death by sin and so death has passed upon all men for that all have sinned. So a proof is that you're, you're getting older. I see some folks here today like me used to have jet black hair. Man, my, I got some pictures. I'll show you some pictures of me. Not only was my hair black, my hair grew down to here. Not only is it growing back, but there are less hairs. And this beard, when I first grew it, 1976, bicentennial United States, this beard was as black as a black color crayon. And now I look like Moses. 
My friends, I'm getting older, and you are too, and you're going to go out and meet God. You've got time to call on the Lord while he may be found. Our Father, we call upon you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and I pray that you will honor your word and bless it to our hearts. How pitiful we are, Father, how ignorant we are, and it's our fault. We have your word, and we don't read it. We don't ask you for understanding. We don't consider it. Make us determined that from this day forward, we're going to be students of your word. We're going to seek the Lord in his word. He told his disciples, you study the scriptures, in them you think you have eternal life. These are they which testify of me. Help us to seek Christ in the Scripture and to believe on Him, to call upon the name of the Lord that we might be saved. We know that behind it all is your sovereign grace. No man serves himself. The Lord is our Savior. Now bless your word wherever it may go. We have the promise that it will not return unto you void. It will accomplish that whereunto you have sent it. We thank you. In Jesus' name, for his sake, amen. Let's sing under the blood of Jesus. Under the blood of Jesus, safe in the shepherd's I'm under the blood of Jesus. I'm safe while the ages roll. I'm safe though the world may crumble. I'm safe though the stars grow in. Under the blood of I am secure in him. All right, let me dismiss you, if you'll bow your head once more. Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus, I ask you to bless us as we leave this place. Drop your word into our hearts, from our head to our hearts. Bless our rising up and sitting down, our going out and coming in. Bless us, O Lord, that we might be a blessing to you and glorify you. We ask it in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, for his sake. Amen.